Hello, I'm Roger Thomas. Welcome to Everyone Can Love Classical Music, a series of podcasts in which we aim to make classical music easy to listen to, more approachable by avoiding the mystique and snobbishness often associated with the classical music. In this month's podcast, we will look at the life, loves and music of Maria Callas. The podcast tells of her successful but turbulent career, and we will listen to Maria Callas sing 15 wonderful arias and duets. We'll also remind ourselves of her sad love life. The two relationships both ended unhappily, and she died sad and alone at the early age of 53. I have to declare an interest straight away. To me, Maria Callas is the greatest soprano ever, no question. Not because her voice was the most beautiful, other sopranos can lay claim to that, but no other soprano conveys the drama and passion that Maria Callas conveys when she sings. For example, at the end of the opera La Traviata, Violetta is on her deathbed and sings a heartbreaking aria. So does Mimi at the conclusion of La Boheme. Now many fine sopranos can convey the sadness of these dying heroines, but when Maria Callas sings these arias, you actually think she's dying. That's the difference. Before we go any further, let's listen to her wonderful voice. In 1952, she made a debut at Covent Garden. Now, the regulars had heard of this promising young Greek soprano, but many were plainly sceptical, especially as Callas appeared on stage as shy, overweight and rather unattractive. Then in the first act, she sang the famous aria Castadiva, in which she pleads that the goddesses shed upon earth the peace that they have created in heaven. She caused a sensation.
and here she sings a thrilling aria from La Traviata. was born in Greenwich Village in New York City in 1923. Her parents, George and Evangelina, were Greek immigrants. At almost exactly the same time, Frank Sinatra was born less than a mile away, across the Hudson River in Hoboken, the two greatest voices of the 20th century, born almost at the same time and same place. Callas began taking classical piano lessons when she was seven, she soon proved adept at singing music with dramatic flair, with her mother pushing her on to pursue a vocal career. In 1937, when Callas was a teen, her parents separated, and she, her mother, and her sister moved back to Greece. Let's hear Callas sing one of the most dramatic roles in all opera, Madame Butterfly. At the end of the opera, Madame Butterfly commits suicide. As she does so, she sings this heartbreaking aria. Oh! <laughs> 
Still a student, she made her stage debut in 1939 in a school production of Cavalera Rusticana. Callas always had a difficult relationship with her mother. She saw Maria as the ugly duckling of the family, fat and clumsy, and the mother much preferred her sister, who was slim and beautiful. But then, when Maria started showing promise as an opera singer, her mother saw an opportunity for fame and money. Callas always said that during the years she should have been playing and growing up, she was singing or making money. Everything I did for my mother was mostly good, and everything she did for me was mostly bad, Callas said. During the Second World War, Greece was occupied by Germany, and Callas related that her mother, who did not work, pressed Maria to go out with various men, mainly Italian and German soldiers, to bring home money and food. Maria never forgave her mother for what she perceived as a kind of prostitution forced upon her. In 1941, Callas made her professional debut with the Royal Opera of Athens in a modest role in Franz von Suppe's Boccaccio. Later, in the same year, she took on her first major role in Tosca. This was later to become one of her most famous roles, and it's the only performance in which we can actually see Maria Callas performing in opera. It's taken from the legendary Royal Opera House performance. You can actually catch this up on YouTube. Unfortunately, there are no complete videos of Maria Callas singing in opera, but it's not a major problem because Callas really acted with her voice, and she made countless recordings of complete operas. Here she sings a wonderful aria from Anna Bellina by Bellini. Callas's private love life was one of great sadness. It started quite happily in 1940 when she moved to Verona and married the rich industrialist Giovanni Meneghini. She was 23 at the time, a shy, myopic, overweight, insecure young singer, nervously anticipating her first major operatic engagements. 
he was 51. They made a distinctly odd couple, but their attraction was mutual and instantaneous. From that moment and through the following 12 years, ten of them as husband and wife, Canis and Manigini, remained virtually inseparable. Manigini controlled his wife's every move as she transformed herself from ugly duckling into the world's most glamorous, courted and controversial opera singer. During 1953 and early 1954, Callas lost almost 80 pounds in weight, turning herself into what many called possibly the most beautiful lady on the stage. Sir Rudolf Bing, who rang the Met Opera in New York for many years, remembered Callas as being monstrously fat in 1951, but stated that after the weight loss, Callas was an astonishing, svelte, striking woman. She was now a beautiful woman at the height of her vocal powers and the toast of international society. She made a perfect violetta in La Traviata. Let's hear her sing her final aria when she's on her deathbed. You can get a good idea on how good Callis was acting with her voice by listening to the following two arias. The first is taken from Giordano's opera André Chénier. In this famous aria, La Mama Morte, our heroine, Madalena, praises her mother, who has just given her life to save Madalena.
The second aria is taken from La Gioconda by Poncielli, in which our heroine decides to commit suicide rather than succumb to the desires of the evil Barnaba. <laughs> I said early on that many consider that Callas didn't have a beautiful voice, but let's listen to her sing this famous aria from Sanson's opera Samson and Delilah. In this aria she attempts to seduce Samson into revealing the secret of his strength. Samson didn't have a chance. Oh, 
From the very beginning of their relationship, no one had access to Callas except through Meneghini, who soon gave up his business and devoted his full energies to orchestrating the Callas career and legend. As her manager, troubleshooter, protector, gopher, and hard-nosed negotiator, he exasperated everyone. In the 1950s, Callas was at the height of her success. She sang all the major soprano roles in opera houses all over the world. She sang the operas from all the major composers, including Wagner, but she was much more at home with Verdi, Bellini and Puccini. Here she sings a famous aria from Bellini's La Sonambula. Callas made her Metropolitan Opera debut in 1956, but it wasn't a happy relationship. In 1958, Callas was due to sing at the Metropolitan Opera House two roles, La Traviata and Macbeth, which require very different singers. Callas and the Met could not reach an agreement, and Rudolf Bing sent a telegram to Callas, terminating her contract. This was not the only time she was to fall out with opera houses. In January 1958, Callas was to open the Rome Opera House season with Norma, with Italy's president in attendance. Feeling that her voice was slipping away, she felt that she could not complete the performance, and she cancelled after the first act. She was accused of walking out on the president of Italy in a fit of temperament, and pandemonium broke out. In 1957, Callas was starring in a La Scala production of La Sonambula, her contract was for four performances, 
but due to the great success of the series, La Scala decided to put on a fifth performance. Callas refused to take part, and this effectively severed her major ties with her artistic home. Callas rarely sang Mozart operas, but let's hear her sing this wonderful aria from The Marriage of Figaro. During the early 1950s, an intense rivalry arose between Callas and Renata Tibaldi, the Italian lyric soprano. They were very different singers. Callas, dramatic and unconventional, and Tibaldi, classically beautiful. Each had their band of fanatical followers. They didn't like each other. Tibaldi was quoted as saying, I have one thing that Callas doesn't have, a heart. While Callas was quoted in Time magazine as saying that comparing her with Tibaldi was like comparing champagne with cognac. No, with Coca-Cola. At this point, let's hear Callas at her finest, singing her final aria from the opera Manon Lesko. She's been abandoned in the American desert and is about to die.
Callas, of course, was wonderful singing arias on her own, but she was also extremely good in singing duets, particularly with her favourite tenor, Giuseppe Di Stefano. Here they sing a gorgeous duet from the third act of Puccini's La Boheme. While still married to Meneghini, Callas was introduced to the Greek shipping magnate Aristotle Anassis at a party. The affair that followed received much publicity in the popular press, and in November 1959, Callas left her husband. Now, the relationship between Callas and Onassis was bad news for us fans of Maria Callas, because she basically gave up singing. With Onassis, Callas largely abandoned her career, mainly because it offered her a way out of a career that was made increasingly difficult by scandals and by vocal resources that were diminishing at an alarming rate. Callas also stated that, I am trying to fulfil my life as a woman. It is alleged that Callas and Onassis had a child, a boy, who died hours after he was born in 1960. Other sources claim that Callas had at least one abortion while involved with Onassis. Maria Callas's final operatic performance was in London in 1965, where she gave a performance of Tosca at Covent Garden. It was attended by the Queen Mother.
Onassis bought Maria an apartment in Paris, and there she stayed, mainly alone. He was an occasional rather than a regular visitor. Then in 1963, Onassis turned his attention to Jacqueline Kennedy. After he had heard that the First Lady's son, Patrick, had died at one month old, the shipping magnate invited her for a cruise on his yacht, the Christina, to help her recuperate. Maria Callas was not invited. Then, later that year, of course, John Kennedy was assassinated, and Onassis was one of the first to offer Jacqueline comfort. Aristotle and Jacqueline remained friends for the next five years, and then in 1968, after the assassination of Robert Kennedy, Onassis proposed and Jacqueline accepted. It is said that she wanted the financial security that Onassis could offer her. Callas knew nothing about the marriage until it took place. But amazingly, within a few weeks of the marriage, Onassis resumed his relationship with Callas. At first she refused to see him, but finally relented when he threatened to crash his Mercedes car into her apartment. They then carried on meeting each month. The marriage between Aristotle and Jacqueline was not a happy one. They argued constantly mainly about Jacqueline's outlandish spending habits and the fact that Onassis continued to meet Callas. Onassis died in 1975. They'd been married for seven years. In the early 1970s, Callas tried her hand at teaching. In 1971 and 1972, she conducted master classes at Juilliard in New York. In 1973, Callas was persuaded to come out of retirement to help raise money for her great friend Giuseppe Di Stefano, they undertook a world tour of recitals. In 1974, they came to London's Royal Festival Hall, and I was lucky enough to be there. At first, the recital was very disappointing. Callis looked beautiful, but she couldn't sing. She whispered rather than sang, while Di Stefano sang superbly. However, at the end of the recital, they sang a duet from Cavalera Rusticana, and she sang her heart out. Her voice was gorgeous. I will remember it forever. Pain, you see, I'm not 
1977, at the age of 53, Maria Callas died suddenly at her Paris home in what was believed to have been a heart attack. What a loss. Let's finish this podcast and let's hear Maria Callas sing a beautiful aria from Adriana Lecouvre. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I do hope you enjoyed it. Our next month's podcast will be on the great operatic composer Bellini. Thank you and goodbye.